There have never been more options for your next vehicle, but the right choice has never been clearer. That's because Toyota has a high-performing hybrid built for your exact needs, like the stylish all-new Camry XSE Hybrid and Venza, the spacious Highlander and all-new Sienna with more cargo space, and the fuel-efficient and high-performing RAV4 Hybrid. Toyota hybrids save you time and money, filling up less often at the gas station. And of course, all with 10-year, 150,000-mile warranty on new models. Take the next step. Visit Toyota toyota.com slash hybrid or your local Toyota dealership to learn more. ¿Qué tal amigos? Mi nombre es Roman Rojas y Tremenda Vaina es el podcast donde te contamos cuatro historias que desafían la realidad. De las cuatro historias solamente una es mentira. ¿Cuál será? En el último episodio de Tremenda Vaina te contamos de un muchacho en China que vendió una parte de su cuerpo para comprarse un iPad. ¿Será verdad? ¿Será mentira? Suscríbete en iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Spotify o tu plataforma favorita. También nos puedes seguir en Twitter, Instagram o Facebook. What's up, Frank? Hey, Jamie. How you doing? Oh, I'm good, man. I'm, I'm just in the middle of my weekly bubble bath. Oh, maybe I should call you back later. Nah, don't worry about it, man. My bathroom is super clean, all right? All right. You clean your whole bathroom, disinfect everything, Jamie? Yeah, dude. And I use Clorox. That's the best thing that ever happened to me, man. Clorox regular bleach with Chloromax disinfects everything. I'm talking my tub. My sink, my toilet. You could even eat off of my toilet. It's so clean. Well, yeah. Wow. So that means you, you go over your countertops, your floors, faucets, appliances, and your door handles, Jamie? Yeah, I do all that. But, you know, I like to mostly focus on the bathroom. You know, that's my special place. I don't know if you want to share that with the whole podcast world, Jamie. Hey, I'm not ashamed, all right? It's important for me to share with loved ones and the public how they can give the most care to their bathroom using Clorox. Gotcha. You know what I always say, right? Oh, yeah. When it counts, trust Clorox. Took the words right out of my mouth. So, dude, are you going to come over or what? Mm, nah, you know. I'm only in the bathtub for two more hours. Nah, nah, it's all right, man. I'll see you around. Your loss. Hola, mi gente. It's been a rough year, and I know so many of us are looking forward to these upcoming holiday celebrations. We're looking forward to spending time with our friends and family, but right now, we need to put our loved ones in our community first. Spending time with them comes with responsibilities. We're in the middle of a pandemic and safety must be our priority. So keep your loved ones safe by wearing a mask, keeping social distance, and getting tested for COVID-19 often, especially when you're around your family. You can have COVID-19 with no symptoms and still pose a very serious risk to the people that you love and your entire community. The COVID-19 test in New York City is safe, confidential, and at no cost to you through New York City's Test and Trace Corps. For a test center near you, visit nyc.gov slash COVID test or call 212-COVID-19. I hope you and your family remain safe this holiday season. Thank you. you guys it is the part of the show here at latinos out loud where we interview someone amazing i've been saying that word every episode of this podcast haven't i, <laughs> I just myself out should i switch it in 2021 should i not no 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 no, no. 
I'll go on an amazing diet for this podcast <laughs> if I'm overusing the word. I mean, anyway. different words. I mean, I don't know. Fantastic. I don't. I don't know of words like that. I hate gonna... that word, Jamie. Like I fucking hate that word. <laughs> okay, so you see that already. The first suggestion, like you hate, so maybe you should just stick. I'm just kidding. We have a guest here, people. Don't be rude. Um, this is the part of the show where we interview <laughs> someone amazing and fantastic. And this person is a friend to the room. He is a digital storyteller and community builder and friend of ours. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. George Urban Hibaro. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, don't, I, always, I only call you George Urban yeah. Hibaro. No, actually... Actually, no, if you remember correctly, when we met, it was in the 90s. You called me Rico. Oh my God, Rico. 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 Wow. Yeah. Oh my God. That is so you know me by my family nickname. Rico's like the like the 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 cousin that comes for Christmas that you're like, I didn't invite him. <laughs> That's totally me. Rico's coming with the coquito quick. What's up? Yeah. It's Rico in the house. So suave. I'll give you name Rico, though, now that we're on the so, subject. It's, it's a family nickname. It's funny because um, back in the day, um, I, uh, you know, I did the whole break dancing, you know, try to be a B-boy type of thing. Which I, I failed miserably. Just for Man, you <laughs> would have stuck with it. You could have been an Olympian. Yo, <laughs> just talked about that. It's, an, it's a new Olympic sport. Did you know that? I do. I do know that. So so when when uh when Rocksteady originally did Beach Street, I was trying to be, I was trying to be a a, a b boy, and uh and we, everybody had to come up with a name and and I think at the time that movie with Cheyenne came out Salsa and his character's name was Rico and I just I wanted to be I was a little white boy so I wanted to be Latino so bad you know <laughs> Latino name with blue eyes George where are you from originally I'm from East New York. Ah. I'm from East New York, but I was raised part of my life in uh, Puerto Rico, uh, Bayamón, Dorado, and Loiza. Interesting. So I, I have the reason that I'm an urban hibaro is because I actually have a lot of the best of both worlds type of thing. So what does uh, hibaro mean? Hibaro is like a campesino, somebody who, who lives from the land, a farmer, a cultivator. And because of the nature of what I do for a living, um, you know, it kind of fits. It fits. I, I actually cultivate relationships and build and grow. So everything's connected. Every every brand that I uh, I have under the portfolio is actually connected to to my story. And mm. uh, as like a hibaro, you also carry a machete. I, don't, I, I can't carry it now because the TSA won't allow it. Machete. I can't carry the machete because the TSA has rules about that. It doesn't go through customs. What do you mean? No, you can't. You, it's frowned upon. It's from the, do, on the airport with a machete. You need to make one from 3D printer. And then that way it goes by all the uh, all the stuff, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it's trail is urban. <laughs> it's like, wait a minute. It's like my name. <laughs> Yeah, so let's yeah, talk yeah. about what you really do. I know you don't carry a machete. Well, then I, I don't know what you do in your evening and spare time. But you said to us that you're a digital storyteller and community builder. I know what all those words mean, but how does that fit into the scope of your work? What do you do for the community? How do you build community? And what what stories are you telling digitally? Tell us more. So, um. When I was an undergrad at SUNY College at Westbury in the 90s, I, um, I was very disappointed with the fact that our stories weren't being told. I had just uh, reconnected with my mentor, Richie Perez, rest his soul. And, uh, 
and I started a platform. I started uh, one of the first, well, one of the first Latino websites on the internet. Um, but the first Latino blog, the first Puerto Rican blog. Uh, and uh, my, my goal was to actually create a space where we would share events, that we would have conferences, that we would uh, share stories and recipes and pretty much everything that you could possibly imagine so that we could uh, unify on that. You know, um, when you go to college, what you realize is that you miss the things from home, right? You, you miss abuela, you miss the fact that you talk broken Spanish, or Spanglish. Mm -hmm. You missed the food, even though when you were home, you were trying to go to McDonald's and get pizza. Um, so you start, when you go to college as an undergrad, you miss all the things from home because you're far. And then you realize that all the people that are around you have the same culture or similar cultures. And you start talking about it. And you know that's how we join organizations like Alianza Latina. Uh, back in, in Brooklyn College, you had Puerto Rican Alliance, PRA. Okay. Uh, yeah, wow. so, so, you know, so these organizations exist because we, we realized that we left something really precious behind. So the website was supposed to be like a virtual college campus that extended beyond schools for people who didn't have access to that experience. Mm. So I, I created mm. lots of events and seminars and, you know, uh, all kinds of educational programming. But the goal was to always let the community in. So every time that we did something at Westbury, we had a component where we would bust people in to be part of the, the conversation. So we, we were tr really trying to be like all encompassing as far as the community was concerned. So that's how the website starts. It starts there on campus in 1997. Wow. So we're going on our 24th year as a website, still going strong. And the name and of the website, please. It's Sofrito for your soul. Yes. <laughs> Sofrito hey. for your soul. Um, and it's, it's literally the cornerstone of my company. It's the, it's the, the flagship. Um, it was never the big money maker, but but it's definitely opened a lot of doors for me to do lots of other things that eventually will, you know, I guess define whatever success I've had. So George, we met through mihente.com. Yeah. Can you kind of explain how your website and mihente.com, because that, that was a, like an era in time where like Latinos in the forefront were going on the internet and that was social media before it was social media. Yep, um, it absolutely was before social media. A lot of people don't realize that some of the most amazing platforms that existed that were Latino owned were precursors of other successful platforms that came after. So Mi Gente, what, Mi Gente Black Planet and, and Asian Avenue were the Facebook of that time, right? It was before uh, MySpace, it was before everything. And um, it was owned by an Asian guy. A uh, company was called Community Connect. And when Mi Gente came in, I felt really validated because my website was just this little website. I had an international following, but now there's a platform where all these people are coming together. So we started leveraging myself and my partner, Papo. We, we met on Mi Gente as well. And we just started leveraging it immediately for like events, you know, fraternity events, um, conferences like Fuerza Latina and Albany. So we were, we, we were really networking um, back then. And it was, it was a very cultural thing. It eventually becomes a hookup site <laughs> oh at some point God. but the, the initial Hello. the golden years of mi gente like i would say like from 2000 to 2004 was like a crazy crazy networking everybody was is all love and it was unity it was probably the most unified i've ever seen the latino community yo can and i say yeah. something about mi gente real quick also that it was so multi-dimensional like you would go online and like 
do what you do via the messenger that took nine years to open up a freaking window. You remember that thing? It's like, <laughs> like, oh my God, what is he saying? What is he saying? Does he like my tits? Does he made, like my tits? made a sound effect. Oh, remember no. the sound effect? <laughs> <laughs> like another one. I got three. But then it added another layer because then there were these events around the Mijente initiatives, these Latino networking events, the salsa events, mm. the club events. And then you truly recognized people from their screen name. Like, I don't think you get that nowadays with Facebook and Instagram. Like, oh my God, cutie with a booty 69 from the Bronx. What's up? <laughs> you know, like. That's what would happen at those freaking the Taj parties and the China chalet parties. Like it would literally like just be like that. And in, I in the college events we had we had Latinostep.com, like wow. the yeah. parties.com yeah. from Martinez. Yeah. I mean, there was a lot of there's a lot of big hitters. That that in flavor.com was YouTube before there was a YouTube. Yep. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Mi gente, like I said, was was Facebook. Um, there was a lot, man. There was a lot of really, really great things happening back then. And, and you know, I uh, I always say that even though we, we innovated, um, we couldn't hold on to that position because we didn't have the basic knowledge of venture capitalists. Mm. They understand how to get funding. I mean, Tony got funding. Tony got funding. I mean, UBO, um, he got major funding. I think he was one of the few people that got major funding. The only other person I could think of that got major funding, she's not Latina. But little Judy, La Musica.com was like the first mm-hmm. big acquisition in the Latino community. Even though she wasn't Latina, but it was the most important website. Uh, think of like Napster or think of, you know, Spotify back then was La Musica.com. And eventually I think it was uh, La Mega bought them out, um, SBS, you know, so, so there was a lot of really good history, but eventually it just kind of fizzled. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then we just, we just incorporated into the mainstream. And then what we started doing was creating spaces, kind of replicate that. Mm. Unsuccessfully, but we replicated that. You know what I mean? So there's Jordan. been a lot of uh, there's been a lot of trial and error throughout the time that your your website has launched. And then you have uh, 2010, 2011, if I'm not mistaken, when blogs start to come in there. So can you kind of give us a little mini journey of how your website has evolved throughout the years as the as the internet and social media has evolved? So, so the website, I feel like the first years from 97 to maybe 2007, those 10 years, those first 10 years, the website was extremely important to the culture because websites were the focal point of the internet. When social media steps in, I do, I go through this transition where I become more of a character and an avatar on Twitter and other platforms uh, that existed at the time. And the website becomes less important. It's always there. I kept it going. I never want to let it go. I even got an offer to, to, to sell it like in 99 and I turned it down and I turned it down for a really stupid reason. <laughs> I needed the money. I swear <laughs> to God, I needed the money. But I didn't have it set up as a business. It mm. was literally code. It was it was code. It was nothing else but code. And I don't mm-hmm. know if you know the only concepcion. Mixtape uh, Kings. You know, uh, um, Jose, Mixtape Kings, Jose Salcedo. We all started our websites in the same room. Wow. wow. Mixtape Kings was actually not even Mixtape Kings. Before that, before that, he had a website called Viva NYC, which was a mi gente type of website. It was like a local events, you know, platform. There was um, Jose Salcedo, who has Trailo now, and Chef Papi. Yes. Um, he's, you know, he was one of my residents. I was a, uh, a RA back in college. And Jose was uh, was one of my residents. So we all started these websites like in the same room, same same web design class. 
And uh, then later on, uh, one of my one of my clients now, she's one of the people in my cohort, in my Simba cohort. Her name is uh, Jesenia. She's a chef. She had a website called Real the Soul. I don't know if you remember Real the Soul. They used to promote all your parties back in the days, Bible. And um, mm. what was it? Yes, 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 yes. Remember Eric from, uh, what was it? Lime. Latin Lime, I think? Latin Lime, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so Real the Soul was another event site that like promoted all the, the you know, all the Latino events that were happening, all the plays and stuff like that. So it was just like a beautiful time, but social media really disrupts that. Um, I've held on to the site and the site's become a mainstay for me and I have no intention of letting it go. As a matter of fact, I'm in the process of talking to one of the local universities to transition to the site to them before I pass away so that they could use it as a writing platform for Latinos because they have a vested interest in, in that. So I want to make sure that the website survives past my existence. I don't think my kids are going to want to keep up the code. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, uh, so I, I, uh, I decided to, to actually uh, transition the website over to a local entity. What entity yet? I don't know, but I've, I've had conversations with a couple. So there's a ton of history, friendship, and different conduits of friendship, too. It's so crazy how, like, there are so many different paths that lead to George Urban Hibaro Torres. I Let me just say something now. Like, the year we met, I think, was 97. Right? It was 97, yeah. It was their sophomore year at Brooklyn College. From so then state. it was nine, no, 98. Wow. 98. No, 98 is when I pledged the boys. So it was 97 when I first started coming around. Yes. And I was a member of the Puerto Rican Alliance. I was a member of all the Latino student clubs. Like, I'm not Puerto Rican, but I'm, <laughs> you know, the only Latino on campus and I was like, or in my class. And I was like, well, that's a lie. It's an exaggeration. But there were very few of us. OK. And I'm still friends with them to this day. And I was just like, hi, knock, knock, knock. I know I'm not Puerto Rican, but can I play? Can I join? And they welcomed me with open arms and it was wonderful. And I'm still very good friends. And the Puerto Rican Alliance of Brooklyn College, just to make it full circle, they just celebrated their 50-year anniversary. Ooh, yeah. Amazing documentary that was put together that features just quotes and actions and news clippings and video from the young lords to mm. political revolutionaries of professors that I personally had as teachers and now call friends. It's amazing what the Puerto Rican student body how they partnered with the Puerto Rican teachers and staff members of Brooklyn College to like overturn um, decisions is incredible. You guys got to watch this documentary. All right, I was oh, nervous. I, so I will tell you, I will tell you a piece of the story that's actually not in the documentary. Go ahead. And it's the Brooklyn College, like our connection is Brooklyn College and SUNY Westbury, right? SUNY Westbury was the place that um, the founding young lords were going to school when they started the Young Lords in New York. So I'll tell you how this happens. This happens where um, the school itself was given to the, uh, to the community by the Singer Company, the, the sewing machine company. Sewing machine? And, the, mm. and the wife and the wife wanted to make sure that the school that was built there would be for non-traditional students, specifically single moms wow. like, and people of color. Mm. When they built the school, the people in the community in Old Westbury did not want the school there they burned it down oh snap so when they burned it down the school decided they weren't going to close and they would they were literally catering food in and they were having round table discussions or not round table round circles out in the in the soccer what's today the soccer field there and they kept having uh classes until they built a new school 
But the problem was when they built the new school, the solution was to build something that wouldn't burn. So they actually, yeah. put, they got a prefab prison design. And they put this the school together again. They put it together, this, this prefabricated design. Unfortunately, it looked like a prison. And because it was a lot of people of color there, there was some of that mentality kind of bled into the culture. Mm. Um, but what I found out was that, yeah, they stole the school van. The student leaders, uh, Pablo Guzman, Denise Oliver, from both the Young Lords and the Black Panthers, they actually stole the van and drove to Chicago for the state vehicle that's not supposed to leave the state. And uh, they met they met with uh, with uh, was it uh, Cha Cha Jimenez and uh, and they chartered the first chapter of the Young Lords. Now, when you go to Brooklyn College, you have a lot of really hardcore Young Lords that went and put the flag over the Statue of Liberty. So there's a lot of history between those two schools. So mm. it was it was a very radical time. And then even what we were doing as Latino Greeks starting a chapter of the fraternity there, that was even revolutionary for its time because the only the only groups of Latinos that you see together were gangs, you know? So for us to come into the school emulating almost a gang culture because we're wearing the same colors and whatever, uh, to come into the school to educate people was something that people never really heard of. Well, can you shout out your frat? Well, like we've, we have tons of friends in that frat. <laughs> yeah, I'm a brother of Fiota Alpha, oldest Latino fraternity established 1931. My pledge name Damn. is Renacido, and I am uh, for I pledged in spring '97. Mm. Dad, I know there were frats in 1931. Sure. <laughs> the, the, actually, the, the fraternity itself, the origins actually started in 1898, and it was a, it was a succession of mergers of Latino fraternities all over Latin America that became the final organization in '30. Wow, I did not so, know that. Yeah, yeah, very very deep history. A lot of Masonic roots there. Um, so it's, it's a very interesting story if you if you uh, if you dive into it, you know, it's a, it's very interesting. And, and uh, the Masonic roots makes it even more interesting because you kind of go back to it kind of leads back to some of the Latino liberators. Interesting. So, George, let's talk like present. We've been talking about the past. What are you what are you up to now? Wow. Um, that's a loaded question. <laughs> I want so everything. I, um, a to Z. Let's go. We got. So, so <laughs> I made a decision a couple of years ago to go virtual. So I closed my offices in Brooklyn. I had an office in um, in front of Automotive High School over there uh, in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. I closed my offices to go virtual because I wanted to travel. And I decided I was going to take a sabbatical to write a book about all the stuff that we've been talking about. Right. The history of Latino is on the Internet. Um, my history in the community um, that the. the the single, the single incident that happened that actually caused me to be a community builder in the first place, which was a racial incident that happened in 1986, which is how I meet Richie Perez. All these things are going to be in the book, right? So I wanted to take time off. So I quit my job. I closed my, off, my business offices. So I had like no income at all. And uh, eventually what I decided to do is I decided to uh, become a flight attendant. I was doing a play with a young lady named Nareda who works for my favorite airline. And uh, we have a conversation and she says, hey, you know anybody that wants to be a flight attendant? I'm thinking to myself, my vision board that I just did with Nancy Ruffin had travel on it. Like, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to like live in Puerto Rico. Like I had this whole plan. I apply and less than three months later, I'm in like flight attendant school in, in Orlando, Florida, uh, learning how to be a flight attendant. It's not an incredibly successful career. It's not like a big money or anything like that, but it gives me freedom to move around the country and, and the world. So, um, so I started writing the book as I'm doing that. So I've been doing that for a year and a half, but in the meantime, I've been transitioning from being what they call an influencer, somebody who's like a brand ambassador 
uh, somebody who develops conferences. I developed um, two of the biggest conferences in the Hispanic space over the years. I produced years and years of content for them. Um, I decided that I was going to start teaching, that I was going to start mentoring other uh, creators. I was going to start helping small businesses grow. So I created something called the Siembra Initiative. And the Siembra Initiative is basically what, you, what, it, what it is, it's something that you know is supposed to grow, right? So when COVID hit, everything goes haywire because I'm now I'm part of the airline industry. That's in danger. <laughs> you know, it, it, it slows down or whatever. And I start thinking to myself, what am I going to do? So I had a plan after this year uh, to develop the Siembra Initiative into a full-fledged online type of like entity, like an online university type of thing. And I realized I'm not ready for that, but I see all these small business owners that I know, people that I used to work with at agencies that used to be the people handing me checks to do different types of, of programs. And now they're all out of work. They have these great ideas, but they don't know how to execute on it. So I collect about 148 of them and put them in a Facebook group. And since March, I've been actually mentoring them and giving them free social media uh, coaching. Wow. So a lot of them have launched businesses in, in, during the pandemic. A lot of them have had success uh, teaching and doing things that they never thought they would be able to do. Uh, and then eventually I end up with a cohort of 16, which I'm currently teaching now up until Valentine's Day. And that is a premium paid course, but they literally get me every single day. They get me waking them up in the morning with a motivational message. I'm teaching them freestyle sessions where I'm coming in to talk about different initiatives and then they have the accountability piece where they actually call me they they, they set up an appointment with me they do one-on-ones and we actually go through a list of things that they have to do to check off for their for them to start their new business or to grow their business so that's kind of where i'm at right now wait hold on can we move you, you uh you wake them up every morning with a motivational message is that no, like... i don't wake them up i'm saying like uh... they, they wake them, <laughs> i don't actually physically wake them up no no uh... or even i thought maybe like that you just call <laughs> no, them no, no. You know, they wake up and the first thing they hear is like, you know, you was like, yo, believe in, you, believe in yourself, never give up. And it's like, oh, thank you. Thank you. But, uh, I get up I'm at up, four I'm in the up. morning, so I'll be frowned upon. <laughs> and then and then most of my people are like, a lot, like half of them are in California. So okay. yeah, that wouldn't work. Yeah, I don't think no. that's the answer to all the phone calls. Not everybody's nice this week. Baby. Like, the fuck is this? Motivation my ass, yo. Goodbye. Yo, he might not lose my number, Clay. You know? mm. Thanks, no. man. Okay. You, you mentioned 86. You mentioned the racial incident in 86. What, 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 what incident was that? So um, for those of you who are old enough to remember, um, there was an incident in New York called the Howard Beach incident where Michael, oh. Griffith, where Michael Griffith was killed uh, for being black in the wrong neighborhood, essentially. Um, the same night that he was killed, just 15 minutes apart, me and a Dominican friend of mine were assaulted in the same fashion. Whoa. He ended up at the same hospital with his family after he was killed. Um, the police thought it was the same people because of the nature of how it happened. Uh, wow. you know, a group of white kids attacking people of color. Uh, it turned out to be two separate groups, so it shows you how racial things were back in the days. Um, but as far as the news was concerned, because it happened so close together, there was the Howard Beach incident and there was the Latino Howard Beach incident. Mm. Originally, we um, we had the same legal team as them. We we were going to all the press conferences, you know, uh, standing behind the, the lawyers as they talked and civil rights leaders, etc. Al Sharpton was our lawyer uh, in Alton Maddox at the time. But one of the things that wasn't being addressed was the fact that we were Latino, and rightfully so. I mean, they in this case, a black man was killed, so they had to really key in on that story, right? Right. Um, but um, the National Congress of Puerto Rican Rights approached us and Richie Perez came over to me and said, hey, listen, you know, your story has to get told too. 
this is happening to us as well. And right. these people are not going to actually get that story out there the way we can. Uh, so we switched legal teams. We had the National Congress of Puerto Rican Rights take our case. And, uh, and Richie became my mentor as a result. And he's actually the one that names me Urban Hibaro. Um, mm. after, uh, after a public speaking event I did at 15 at Hostos. Mm. So that event really kind of like woke me up in terms of who I am culturally and, and recognizing that I had, I had privilege in certain spaces, but in other spaces, if, if culturally I look like I'm Latino, if I'm wearing clothes that white people wouldn't wear in the, at that time, I was very hip hop geared, you know, sheepskin, chain, tango, that type of eight ball, right? eight ball jacket. <laughs> uh, eight, balls, eight balls were a little bit later, actually. Uh, okay. I'm a little older than you. Okay. <laughs> but um <laughs> no, I, I look straight out of B Street. I mean, you okay. know, the members only, people. members only jacket. Sorry. No, that, that's what they were wearing. <laughs> they were wearing the members only jackets and the MC jacket. But yeah, so so Richie, Richie takes me under his wing and, and I start learning really like what my grandmother had been already trying to teach me my whole life and, and what, what it means to be Puerto Rican in the United States and, and, and you know, all those different power dynamics. So I, I learned that from him. Um, but that actually is what pushes me to actually create Sofrito for Your Soul because I just knew that there were more people that had stories out there. Not, not, not necessarily that kind of story, but they, people have stories. And I just wanted to make sure that people had a place that they could actually express themselves. And, and it was mostly poetry in the beginning. So poetry is a really big part of my story. Do you feel that, do you remember, if, were you really nervous, overwhelmed, and then it took a sense of bravery? Or was it something that you felt you were natural and this was your calling? No, you know what? Even, even when I was a knucklehead in, in the street, because <laughs> I was a knucklehead for a minute in the streets, even during that time. Even when I was always the resource guy. I don't know if you remember Lethal Weapon when Joe Pesci comes out and says, yeah, whatever you need, Leo gets, get it? You know that? I was that guy. <laughs> I was that guy. So back in the day when you when those first Barola Star Trek phones came out, if you needed one of those, I got you. If you needed, you know, if you needed a car parts, I, I knew somebody. You know, I always knew somebody that knew somebody. So. Damn. So right. So if you were still doing that, we'd be we'd be asking you for the PS5 right now. <laughs> Yo, pretty much. I have a truck with a bunch of PS5s. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to phone ever, ever. So yeah. So so you know, I, I was I was very I was always resourceful. I was always introducing people. I was always trying to figure out how people can make each other better. That at the core of who I was, that was it, right? If you were trying to, if you needed customers for your business, I knew a way that you can get more customers. I knew the people that could introduce you to, to get you access to groups. And I used to crowdsource and, and do all different types of networking events and things of that nature. So that kind of came naturally to me, um, which is why the website because is one big part of it. But then what, what really takes me to the next level is how I create platforms for other influencers to come together. So when we're talking about Latism, we're talking about the stuff that I produce for Hispanicize, uh, you know, that that's really where my success really steps in. And that's where I kind of leave New York and start traveling all over the country, speaking at conferences, uh, becoming ambassador for the brands like Lexus and Toyota, um, you know, and, and it just takes off. But it, what, what happens is people start imagining pride. Like when you when you're good at something and you just stay focused on what you're good at, other people come to you and they reimagine what your life could be if you were working with them and they create the opportunity for you. So I've been very blessed that a lot of really creative uh, CMOs and, and, and brand ambassadors and, and people who own companies actually saw a way that I could actually help them further their business. And, and, that's, and that's kind of the foundation of my success personally. Mm. 
I have to say, being along the journey and watching from afar, I went from supporting your events in Williamsburg where there was pizza and poetry. <laughs> mm. Shout out to Capicu. Yep. Wow. Mass events. To even your hustle at T-Mobile, right? You had a stint there. And then I kind of saw your journey pivot once social media sort of made its presence and uh, grew past a fad, as you alluded to earlier. But now what really fascinates me is I see that you, like this podcast, weave in the community into basically everything that you do. You know, I always, I always have the, 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 the problem is for me, what, what was very difficult was I lived in two worlds, like being in Brooklyn at Capicu and bring, being a Hispanicized in Miami, they're two different worlds. Mm. And, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you exactly. A lot of people didn't understand why I kept going to Miami or why I kept going to LA. And my goal with Capicu specifically, Capicu is a poetry project that I started about 14 years ago with my partner, Papa Swiggity, who's an old friend of, of Mike's. Um, they used to be competitors back in the, in the nightclub days. Wait, 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 <laughs> wait, wait. That's a sidebar That's... that needs to be brought to the front door. Jorge, can I, George, can I talk about this? It's going to be probably about the book. So we, we're not allowed to talk about that. Yeah. chapter 13. You yeah. uh, rival club promoters with someone i need to hear about this rivalry <laughs> <laughs> that's true you really have to invite papa on the show you know then, what yeah. that's the point valid and pa fair pa point. papa's the one that can speak about that firsthand i, I was just there <laughs> i watched from far away we'll get papa on the show and we'll talk i was i was in the back with a bottle of moet just chilling <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but when i created the capicu project with papa we we really believe that we could have a latino middle class in in, in new york and one of the things that we thought about was how artists, poets, comedians, actors, you know, painters, uh, sculptors, they were doing amazing work. People loved their work, but they were not self-sustainable. So when I created Capicu, we were the first poetry house, aside from the American, that would actually pay their features. Like every, every you know, poetry clubs act a lot like comedy clubs. Like you come in, you get a free drink and you get to go on the stage. And sometimes you have to pay, even pay, pay your own way. We, we decided to change the model. But part of changing the model was me incorporating some of my corporate experience and bringing brands to the table. And that was not always well received. You know, there were people who were saying that we were culture vultures. There were people who were saying that we were bringing an un, uh, unwelcome element into the arts. Mm. Um, but interestingly enough, I feel very redeemed as we speak today because a lot of the advice that I gave a lot of these artists and poets who are prominent today, they're, they're actually doing exactly what I told them 10, 15 years ago. The, and, and some of them straight up told me to my face that, you know, that's never going to work in poetry. That's never going to work in arts. You know, so I feel, I feel redeemed. I, I feel like, like Run DMC did after they did their first Adidas commercial. Hmm. Like everybody was like, yo, hip hop, there's no room for branding in hip hop. And look what hip hop is today. Facts. So, so I, and I had that conversation with DMC, you know, about like when I was really depressed and at my worst point with Capicu and the work that we were doing and trying to understand, have people understand why I was at Hispanicide or what I was trying to do to elevate them. I had a conversation, my first live, actually my first Twitter live, it wasn't even Periscope at the time. It, or it was Periscope, it wasn't Twitter live. My first Periscope was DMC. And that was a conversation that we had live on, on Periscope was like, how do you feel seeing what hip hop has become and how much opportunity you created 
by doing what you did with Adidas. And, and I got to find that video. That video is like gold. But, um, but you know, that that's, it's, it's never been that. And I remember when you guys came out to Hispanic size the first time, you know, after, after seeing each other, you know, seeing each other in Brooklyn and in the Heights for all these years. And now you see me in Hispanic size and I'm like a different person. I, I felt like I was living two lives. And, um, and it wasn't until I brought Papo out there. Papo actually got nominated for an award. He got the same award that I got the previous year, which was the Positive Impact Award. And when Papo got the award and he came to Hispanicize, he really then got it. And then that's when Capicu started hitting a different groove because now we were coming back and we were trying to figure out how we could slowly incorporate some of these elements into the arts and, and tell the artists that it's okay to brand themselves, that it's okay to be on social media, that it's okay to show people painting you know, as you're, as you're creating right. so that they could actually um, become self-sustainable. And we had a lot of success with that, you know, and some people, some people got a lot of success from working with us and they won't say it. They'll never say it mm-hmm. because they, because they were so public about trashing us in the, in the beginning. So there's a, there's a whole lot of history there. But for me, it was just like, I feel finally like I could be myself. I could be myself in all spaces and it's good because now people have a really good understanding. This pandemic really pulls people into a different space where everything that they felt uncomfortable doing, Zoom calls, buying stuff online, everything, now it's the norm. Mm. You can't exist yeah. without like Uber Eats and grabbing a cab, you know, getting a lift, you know, whatever. Mm. So I, I, feel, I feel redeemed in that sense. So my, my journey changes now because before it was all about, for me, it was about being financially successful and having an agency that was going to be award-winning and, 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 you know, just on the news all the time or whatever. And I changed, I changed. Now I, I want to focus on individuals. So I kind of went back to my roots and said, I'm going to go back to what I was doing with Capico in the beginning and really just impact individuals and help them make their dreams come true and become their number two. Like instead of me being in the forefront and, you know, being social media expert guru on the mountain, like just be behind the scenes and just like cheer them on and see them succeed and let them be the ones that tell my story. Mm. you know aside from the book aside from me telling the story of the background like i'm letting i'm letting the people that i'm teaching the people that i'm coaching right now i let them tell the story they're going to tell you how they succeeded because of the work that we did together so it's a very different space to be in and that brings me to to where we are today so what's really happened today jamie is that um a couple of weeks ago actually about two months ago i got approached by new york city to be the new york city ambassador for COVID 19 one of the Latino ambassadors to talk about COVID-19 because we had a really big concern that people were going to start gathering because they had cabin fever and they were going to start gathering and putting each other at risk and start super spreader events, you know, parrandas and things of that nature. Ironically, the day that I signed the deal, I get a test result back and I'm positive. Oh man. Wow. Now, first of all, my client calls me and says, yo, you don't have to take the job so serious, bro. Like, oh. seriously, like, you know, <laughs> But, um, but or joking aside, like I was scared. I was scared because as a flight attendant, I don't really live in New York anymore. I spend more time in Puerto Rico and in Florida with my mom. And in Puerto Rico, I just, you know, I have a little crash pad that I hang out in over there. I have a crash pad in New York. So my crash pad in New York is really where I come to go to work. So I work at a JFK, right? I was afraid because I can't go back to the crash pad because I have 10 people in the house that mm-hmm. work for the airlines too. You get mm-hmm. what I'm saying? So I'm, I'm worried about them. So my friend Cynthia calls me up. Cynthia used to do radio with me uh, back in the days. Um, she was my co-host on the Kapiku show. And uh, she calls me up and she says, there's a, there's a resource called 311. 
and, and ask about the hotel program. So I call the hotel program and find out that Test and Trace Corps, which is a division of the city of New York, of New York uh, Health and Hospitals, has a program that if you're traveling to New York and you're stranded and you don't have the means to get a hotel room to quarantine, they'll actually give you space, a safe space to do that. They give you three meals a day, internet, you got cable. You have a hotel room, basically. It's LaGuardia Plaza Hotel right across from LaGuardia Airport. Amazing. And um, they feed you. But one of the things, one of the elements of this program that really, that, that is really important is the wellness checks. They have a medical staff on, 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 on board. And at 9.30 in the, e in the morning and 9.30 in the evening, they come and check up on you. They take your temperature, they check your blood pressure, they make sure your oxygen levels are good, they make sure that you're okay, that you could talk to them, whatever. So on the sixth day of me being at the hotel, they come in the room and I'm a little blue in the face. I'm not responding. So they check, my, they, check, they check my oxygen levels and my oxygen levels had dropped to 82. So that's what they call a state of hypoxia. So that's what's what you would get. Just what's <laughs> the norm and what's the normal... Well, what's a normal oxygen? No, a normal oxygen level, depending on what your health is like, it could be anywhere from 92 to 100 is okay. a normal. Anything under 92 is, is, cause, is cause for concern. If it goes under 80, you're, you're pretty much like you're depriving your oxygen. Of, it's the equivalent of drowning in air. Mm. Like no, no oxygen going to your brain, right? Got it. Thank you. So they rushed me to the hospital. I spent 13 days in the hospital. I, I was fortunate no. enough that the hospital I went to had this experimental treatment, which is the same one that they used at the White House for all the people that got sick when the president got sick. And uh, I made it out of the hospital, you know, fairly okay. I had mild symptoms to begin with, but obviously I hypoxia threw everything into a, a different space. And the doctors at the hospital were just trying to make sure I didn't get intubated because, you know, once you get intubated, there's like a very high percentage uh, of people who don't make it out of that. Mm. Uh, and you know, it was just a very lonely time, you know, it's just, you're there and you're just not knowing that like, time is standing still. Like I literally watched the elections, like CNN was on like 24 seven while I was in bed and it felt like one conversation, like it was just mm -hmm. really crazy, but the program actually saved my life. So, um, I get out of the hospital and I've, it's time for me to actually do the work that I needed to do for the campaign. And, uh, and me and my team actually got together with the client and said, hey, wouldn't it be great if we put together like a Wu-Tang clan of like influencers that could actually reach different communities and different, you know, people and, you know, bigger than just one person like myself or, or any other celebrity that you would have on board. And, uh, and we did that. We put together a great lineup. We have Candy Galerón. We have Melanie Santos. We have Caridad de la Luz, La Bruja. Right. We have Fat Joe. We have mm. Luis Guzman. We have Eileen Campos. Oh, who else do we have? I'm gonna forget somebody and they're gonna get mad at me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I should have a list. Um, we have Led Black from Uptown Collective. Um, so, you know, so we have like this really great group of people who are, uh, who are advocating for us to be careful this holiday season. And originally the message was kind of like, ah, you know, people are gonna get together no matter, no, like, People don't have to get together. We have to stay alive, man. We have to survive this. And it's okay to have a virtual parranda. It's okay to send your family a playlist of your favorite aguinaldos and sing them over Zoom. You know, it's okay to send, you know, uh, Uber Eats to each other's house and, 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 <laughs> pie and whatever. And have like this virtual. I, I'm really, really big on, on making sure that this holiday is virtual because we want to be able to hug each other again. You know what I mean? 
and, and that's and that's really big for me. So so uh, so if you look right now, you go on uh, on Instagram. If you go to my Instagram account, I have a list of a guide that has all the different influencers that are working on the campaign, and and we're just trying to like really let people know not only that they should be careful and 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 stay away from family if they can, but also to get tested often if they have to go to work if they have to go and be around family um the testing is actually at no cost to them provided by the same organization health and hospitals test and trace Corps. you can go to nyc.gov slash covid test or you can call 212 covid19 um and then do the things that we've been told right maintain social distance make sure that you wear your mask you know wash your hands for at least 60 seconds use sanitizer that's at least 60 percent uh, alcohol all those things are going to help you know um and, and that's kind of where we're at right now we just right now we're literally in the middle of, of pushing this campaign now so that people could really uh take into account that you know they could be asymptomatic and still pass the virus on to, to their tias or to other people in their families that are vulnerable i was super vulnerable i have diabetes i have type 2 and i've gotten myself to the point where i'm off medication so I was healthier than the average diabetic, but this could have still been a really, it could have been a bad health for me. So, so I'm, so this is really important for me. It's like, it's not just about me uh, doing another campaign or something I'm going to get paid for or something that, that you know, it, it's about like me looking out for my community in, in the, in the best way I possibly can. And I would have, you know, I would have done this probably regardless, you know, but, but having the support of the city of New York is actually really good because now I have more resources and I can reach more people. So. Mm. that's that's really important and for those of you who are fat joe fans i'll be on uh, the big 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 show um this wednesday all right so, so we're gonna be uh talking about it you know fat joe just joined the team um uh, i understand that angie martinez is also joining the team and there's oh. some other folks that out there that are joining the, the, the conversation so it's it's a, it's a dope movement you know and hopefully uh we'll continue to look out for each other this way, you know, as a community, you know, regardless of whether there's a campaign behind it or not, like when there's a need for something in our community, we create the campaign. And I want to be at the point with you guys, even that, that we have conversations about the things that the community needs. And we just like rise to the occasion automatically, like the conversation should be fluid. You know, I should not, and I'll take accountability for this. I should not wait to see you at a conference or at a, an industry event. Like we should be talking on a regular basis. So I commit to you guys, that I'm going to stay a lot closer uh, to you and, and let you know what's happening from my end, my perspective on the streets. Um, and I hope that you guys will do the same, you know, because this is, this, this is what really matters. What we're doing right now is what really matters. It's having conversations that's going to educate people, that's going to put people in a different place and, and have them spread the word as well. Like, you know, instead of spreading the virus, we're going to spread the word. And we're gonna oh, stay snap. Oh. Wow. That's for that. Yes. That's a good one there. That's a good one. Well, wow. Thank you for your time, for spreading love, sharing knowledge, yeah. being a friend, a supporter for all these years. Thank Absolutely. God you made it out of COVID. And facts, facts, Juan bro. Bago. Juan Bago is your COVID buddy right now in this Zoom, who also got over this, this wow. terrible, terrible virus. Thank God. Yeah, and, and then there's so many people that didn't make it out, you know, so we have to like yeah. also recognize that we have a couple of people in the community that we just recently lost. Uh, and and it's, it's real you know this is a real thing this is is, is <laughs> it's as real as it gets you know life is very temporary um so for anybody that wants to get in touch with me for this or any other community initiative you can follow me on all platforms at urban Hibaro, and i will even give you my number 
Call me. You're giving up the I'm giving wow. up digits. I have a I have a community text. I have a community text platform that allows me to share beautiful things that are happening in the community. Uh, I I also do motivational and encouraging messages. So you can call me at 917 708 5118. 917, that's an old school one, man. That's an old school New York number, yeah. So 917 708 5118. That's Frank's old beeper number. It's my two way, right? I actually respond. I actually respond to all the messages personally. There's no like team. There's no auto reply. The first, the only auto reply you're gonna get is the first one that welcomes you to the community, and after that is all me. No um, late night text. No late night text. No. You know, but I have a, a question. One I'm more question. In the morning. Yeah. <laughs> I have one more question. Deadass, do you have any like T-Mobile sidekicks laying around that you don't use? <laughs> you know, like I real talk, I do. I actually do. I actually have it in my storage unit. I have I packed up my whole apartment and, and in the storage unit and do it. Um, and I'm actually moving back to Williamsburg in a couple of weeks or so. Word. If, I, if I do it, they're yours. I promise. Okay. I have, I have a whole box of vintage phones. Does wow. it have to activate sidekicks? Do you think that no, they should? No. No? It won't, uh, but, but if you want to use it for a skit or something, yeah. I, <laughs> I, I, I may just drape it around my neck like we used to do in South Beach when we were cool. You know what I mean? Remember that summer? You yeah. Play the flame. Why, gonna, why did we wear a 10-pound phone around our neck? with that strap. I don't understand. Um, but we want to thank you for coming on the Latinos Out Loud podcast. One time for George Urban Hibaro Torres. There have never been more options for your next vehicle, but the right choice has never been clearer. That's because Toyota has a high-performing hybrid built for your exact needs, like the stylish all-new Camry XSE Hybrid and Venza, the spacious Highlander and all-new Sienna with more cargo space, and the fuel-efficient and high-performing RAV4 Hybrid. Toyota hybrids save you time and money, filling up less often at the gas station. And of course, all with 10-year, 150,000-mile warranty on new models. Take the next step. Visit Toyota toyota.com slash hybrid or your local Toyota dealership to learn more. ¿Qué tal amigos? Mi nombre es Roman Rojas y Tremenda Vaina es el podcast donde te contamos cuatro historias que desafían la realidad. De las cuatro, solamente una es mentira. ¿Cuál será? Estas son las historias del último episodio. Te contamos de un muchacho en China que vendió una parte de su cuerpo para comprarse un iPad. ¿Será verdad? ¿Será mentira? También te traemos la historia de un lugar en el mundo donde los perros son azules. Hay un niño de 7 años de edad que sospecha ser culpable de una de las cosas más terribles que le ha pasado pasado a la humanidad. Una familia en la zona rural de Colombia investiga la desaparición de animales de su granja. Cuando averiguan la respuesta, casi pierden sus vidas. Acuérdate que de estas cuatro historias solamente una es mentira. ¿Cuál será? Suscríbete hoy en iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Spotify o tu plataforma favorita. Tremenda Vaina Podcast. Tremenda